So in preparation for today's sermon, I thought long and hard about what would I say to my younger self? And I really struggled because there's actually a lot, like a lot that I would say to my younger self if given the chance. It seems I'm not the only one that thinks about these things. If you do a Google search today, message to your younger self, you will get no less than 116 million search results. I posed the question on Facebook last night to friends. If you could say one thing to your younger self, what would it be? And uh, if we're connected in that way, go read some of the responses. Uh, many of them are um, really made me think and reflect, and some were kind of funny. Um, and they range from things like uh, get therapy now, get healing now. Don't wait to deal with the emotional pain and baggage of your childhood and of your youth to things like uh, tipping off the younger you with the right Powerball numbers or uh, investing in a young company called Amazon. The message that I would say to my younger self, probably among many, is it's not your fault. It's not your fault. In the Bible passage that Aurelia read just a few minutes ago, we learn that Jesus has healed a person who was born with blindness and without sight. The verses at the beginning of John 9, which were before the passage Aurelia read this morning, Jesus is walking along and the scripture says that he saw a person who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. First of all, it's kind of icky. The fact that the disciples seem to be speaking about the man who was blind within earshot of the man who was blind, it's a bit awkward. It's the first indication in the passage that the religious devotees in Jesus's life often objectified others instead of seeing them as deserving dignity, as those who are made in God's image, instead of engaging them with God's love and radical grace. This can be added, by the way, to a very long list of things not to say in front of a person with different abilities. Why do they have that ability? Did they sin or was it their parents? When confronted with the question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. Notice that Jesus does not ascribe blame and the shame that comes with it concerning the man's condition. Jesus stops short, too, of attributing the condition to the work or will of God. He simply says that the man was born with his condition so that God's glory might be revealed. This might sound a little strange to us, 
But context, like everything in Scripture, is extremely important here. In the preceding chapter, John 8, we learn that Jesus is teaching and healing at the temple in Jerusalem. In the chapter before that, we learn that the reason he was in Jerusalem was for Sukkoth, or the Festival of Booths. The temple as a structure was opulent, to say the least. Much of the structure was plated in gold or bronze. The scale of the structure would have been impressive and imposing on the Jerusalem landscape. The way the structure was designed was intended to bring glory to God and all the activities and festivals in that massive complex were to point toward the glory and the work of God. The temple was designed in such a way that only people who were male and who were deemed worthy by hereditary status could approach the inner parts of the structure. It was believed that God resided in that inner part of the temple, often called the Holy of Holies, an interior room that was literally covered in gold, the walls, the furnishings, all of it gold-plated. The high priest was allowed to enter once a year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it was believed that God's glory was present in the room, believed that God's work in the world happened at the temple and as a result of the cultic temple worship. And standing right in the courtyard of the temple, Jesus states that the person without sight was born that way so that God's work might be revealed. God's good work, not revealed through animal sacrifice, not revealed through opulent buildings, not revealed through male priests, but revealed through the visually impaired beggar who the temple and all of its priests and visitors were largely blind to. I wonder if the unsighted man who Jesus encounters ever thought about his condition. Well, of course he did. But I wonder if he ever shamed himself or lived with guilt. The disciples clearly thought that unless he or his parents were guilty of some sin, the man would have probably been born with the ability to see. Jesus, in essence, confirms to the man, before healing him anyway, it's not your fault. The time that Jesus was at the temple was one of the high holy times of the Jewish year. That festival I mentioned a minute ago, known as Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, was a week, a weeks-long Thanksgiving and harvest celebration in October. Jesus heals a man with visual impairment on the Sabbath, and then the real irony of the passage kicks in. The religious leaders leading a nationwide Thanksgiving celebration full of Weeks of religious ritual and praising God for blessing and provision in the wilderness after the exodus are indignant that a person born with blindness is healed on the Sabbath by a rabbi named Jesus. 
surely we are not blind, are we? Or in the passage, uh, the version of Scripture, the translation that Aurelia read, you're not calling us blind, are you? This question asked by the Pharisees at the end of the passage is key to understanding the narrative. Sometimes I have struggled with what I would say is guilt instilled from my own upbringing, my own lived experiences as a child, as an adolescent. And Jesus, in responding to this initial question of the disciples, essentially tells the person who is blind, it is not your fault. In fact, he takes it further. In the temple complex, on a holy day, in the middle of a high holy festival, Jesus tells the man, God's work is revealed just as much in you as it is in this building and all of its trappings and rituals. Those must have been such powerful words. It's not your fault. God's good work and even God's glory is being revealed in you. I think that's the message I would tell my younger self. It's not your fault you were raised in such a conservative home. And it's really not your parents' fault either because they were doing the very best that they could. It's not your fault that your parents got divorced. For a brief window of time in my young adolescence, I actually blamed myself for that, which is really natural for kids that experience that in their households. It's not your fault that you came later in life to a more expansive and grace-filled way of viewing God and viewing yourself. It's not your fault you were bullied in middle school. It's not your fault that you've struggled with depression and anxiety much of your life. It's not your fault that you only realized you've been living with ADHD for a really long time at the age of 39, about a month before your 40th birthday. It's not your fault you've been wounded by the various religious systems that raised you and that you've given your entire adult life to serving. It's not your fault. Is largely what I would tell my younger self. And in the passage, even after the blind man finds healing, he is interrogated by religious leaders. His parents don't defend him, and he's kicked out of the synagogue. I bet all of that came with some trauma, too. How terrible is it that after people find healing, that religious systems traumatize them for it? The man who could now see was suddenly rejected by his own religious system and even by his family system. But that wasn't his fault either. Any more than being blind was his fault. In verse 40, the Pharisees asked Jesus that question. Surely we're not blind, are we? You're not saying we're blind, Jesus. In verse 41, which Aurelia didn't read, but I saved for the sermon, Jesus says to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. 
This brings up an interesting consideration. Jesus essentially says to the Pharisees, when you didn't know what you didn't know, you were not at fault. But now that you do know better, you're responsible for your new knowledge. You're responsible for your new understanding. And you're responsible for what you do with that new knowledge and that new understanding. I think this is instructive for all of us. I take it that way personally. I could beat up my younger self. And I have actually about the number of years I didn't think that women could be pastors. Or I could beat up my younger self about the length of time it took me to come to the conviction that God's welcome and inclusion fully includes LGBTQ siblings. I didn't know what I didn't know, though. But now that I do know, I'm responsible and accountable before God to do better. And to do different. Perhaps when Jesus said, it's not your fault. It was the first time the man without sight had ever heard these words. And until the Pharisees knew better, it wasn't their fault either. Think about the boy Samuel in the Old Testament who was raised from the age of a child to be a priest at the temple. Jesus gives sight to the man who was born blind. This is the miracle of the gospel. The famous song by the slave trader, John Newton, reminds us of this. When Newton wrote, I once was lost, but now I found. Was blind, but now I see. A reference to this passage in John, no doubt. And in today's passage, we might identify with the person who was indeed blind from birth. I think of a lot of ways I was blind from birth, figuratively. Or we might identify with the disciples who unknowingly ask unhelpful or hurtful questions. Maybe they should have known better, but they clearly didn't. Or we might even identify with those who are so caught up in religious tradition and ritual that we cannot sometimes see God's clear work, even in our very midst. In any case, there's a good chance it's not your fault. Because we are all products of the systems that birthed us and raised us and nurtured us. That's what grace is all about. The declaration to my younger self, it's not your fault, is not only spoken over me by Jesus already, but when I say it to myself as an affirmation, I am giving myself the grace that God has already given me, the healing that God has already given me. And so my prayer for each of us this week is that whatever our trauma, whatever our pain, whatever our spiritual or mental or physical condition is, that we can hear the words of grace speaking love and healing over us.
And I pray that we might be able to speak those words over ourselves. Amen.